I would love to be able to talk about third spaces and, um, you know, justice for the poor in a way that doesn't automatically polarize people. As an artist, I think that that's definitely where I'm going. You're listening to the Not Yet Podcast, a bi-weekly show exploring the relationship between creativity and spirituality. I'm your host, Paige Polk, an Emmy Award-winning experience director, helping you honor the dreams you have for yourself and your community. You're in the right place if you have the courage to believe in a world you haven't yet seen. I'm so grateful you're here. Now let's start the show. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to let you know that Not Yet is getting back into in-person events this spring 2023, kicking off with our Not Yet Reimagining series, where we'll host speakers, live events, and workshops in New York City, Durham, LA, and online to collectively reimagine the next chapter of our cultural reality. So I'm pumped about this because the experience is going to touch spaces like connection, art, life and work, technology, the built environment, and sustainability, all through the lens of creative spirituality. Check out notyetseries.com, click the beautiful icon that says reimagining event series, and give me your insight. What are the event locations you're excited about? Who are people we should collaborate with? What are you most looking forward to? Head to notyetseries.com so I can put your insights and ideas into the mix as we bring this event series to life. Now let's get back to this episode with Sari. Welcome back to the Not Yet Podcast. I'm so grateful you're here. And I'm joined today by a new, very brightly colored, very brightly humaned human named Sari Shrike. Hey, Sari. Hi, thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yes, likewise, a little black and white version of Sari. She is an oil and acrylic painter based out of Austin, Texas. Her colorful works cover many different subjects and techniques, including landscape, still life, portraits, disco balls, and even memes. Oh yeah, I, the whole gamut, all kinds of all kinds of work. <laughs> that is amazing. I was drawn to your work on TikTok, on the internet. And I was so drawn to it. First of all, because it's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, It's beautiful and it's fun and it's invigorating and it's honest. And I also loved that you shared your work and your philosophy behind and through your work as well. You really do use your art as a storytelling platform. And with that in mind, I would love it if you could share a little bit more about who you are and sort of how that informs your work. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm an artist. Um, I'm a mom to two children and, uh, I live in Austin, Texas and I show up on the internet pretty consistently almost every day. Um, I love that the internet can connect people. It's people a lot of times have a really negative view of the internet and I understand that, but I've, I've found it to be a pretty transformative vehicle, uh, especially as an artist and someone who wants to connect and share and teach other people and find that community. Um, but yeah, I, you know, a little bit about me kind of in a nutshell, I grew up, um, in the Ozarks in the late nineties and early two thousands. And I grew up below the poverty line, my um my dad and my mom struggled kind of on and off with addiction my whole childhood and um yeah so that shaped a lot of how I I see the world I was lucky enough to get to attend college on a running scholarship 
Um, I started getting into running because I just needed an excuse to leave my house um, and physically leave and be out in nature. And I did it enough that I was able to get a scholarship at a division two school. So really lucked into it. And um, with that, I, I fell in love with art. Um, I just had a good professor. It's it's real testament to good people are just like make life happen. Um, but I had a professor who's really egalitarian in his approach. He really took art off of its pedestal and made it he said, this is just a tool for communication. It's open to everyone to make art is to be human. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the philosophy, I think more than anything. And since then on and off, I've been making art, sharing my art with other people. Um, art has helped me work through trauma and, and create community. And yeah, I'm just really, really fortunate to be here. And a lot of what drives me is not only the quest to make art and to create and tell stories, but to bring something that's been so helpful to me into other people's life. And yeah, that's kind of why I'm here, why I show up. And I'm I'm really grateful for where I'm at. Ah, I'm really grateful for where you're at too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, what I love about doing these podcasts is, um, not yet is a community healing project and it's for creators who are on their own spiritual journey. And I consider a spiritual journey to be anything that continuously ingratiates you with yourself and the world around you. And it sounds really deeply to me that the creations that you make are something that help you process and interact with the world around you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think I could probably argue that on a bunch of different fronts. Um, you know, on a very simple two-dimensional kind of thing. It's it's sitting alone with yourself and your thoughts and making something that is exciting and that represents you in a way that you don't always show up in the world is is just liberating. I think as my art has evolved and grown, I've become better at, you know, the kind of the main goal of art, which I think is to help people who, you know, resonate with your art. You know, there's this famous quote of like, art is meant to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. I, I know that like quotes are kind of two-dimensional, but I, I do love that. And I feel like that's a little bit of what I'm trying to do now as my art has matured. Um, but yeah, that's definitely been the case for me. I'm still learning and growing. And something I've been really intentional recently is using my art to find and grow community. And I think you know, even with the internet in this day and age, it can be really hard to find that community and seeing my art, you know, yet again, reveal itself as something that's been really healing. And to your point, very spiritually um, helpful has been just, yeah, a really cool turning point with my art. What does building community around art look like for you? Yeah. Oh, that's tough because I still am kind of figuring that out. Um, you know, I think art, I'm, so I didn't grow up particularly woo-woo. I grew up in the Ozarks, which is like the Southern part of the Midwest and, you know, very bread and butter, salt of the earth kind of people. Um, but I've been so shocked by, you know, something you think about when you first start making art that can be really like heavy to sort of sit with and can be scary is like, if you show your art to the world, you know, the wrong people are going to receive it or the right people won't receive it. But I've been continuously blown away by the fact that 
the right people do find your messaging. The right people, the people who've experienced similar things or need to hear what you're saying do end up finding you in in this almost like magical sort of way. Um, And so for me, finding community has been two part. One, really finding a resolve in myself and healing in myself so that I can show up and find those people. And then, um, you know, in the other, other sense, you know, giving back and sharing not only technical skills, but like all the things that art has taught me. And so it's this give and take relationship. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that made any sense, but, you know, through my art, you know, finding people in that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think, I mean, it's very clear that you have a really strong grounded relationship with yourself and your story, which is honestly step one. Um, and (laughs) (laughs) like step one and even beyond that, like it takes, it takes courage and commitment to share your story and, and to do it in what seems like many media, (laughs) like you, you are sharing it with your voice, you're sharing it with resources, you're sharing it with uh, academia, you're sharing it with acrylic and glitter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm really, again, I'm really grateful. I think, you know, a big part of my practice has been gratitude. And, you know, if I'm going to anchor it to something, it's like this idea that I've had for a long time of you know, there's so many different ways my life could have turned out. And I have this really deep belief that all of us on some level are creative. And, um, you know, I just, I almost, I mean, things had to go so perfectly for me to get a scholarship and become an artist. And um, the gratitude sort of, I think, reverberates in all of my life. And and th- that shows up as not only me telling my story. And I tell my story not just because, like, I need to blab about it. Because actually telling of my story still occasionally feels pretty deeply uncomfortable um, just because of like, I'm not doing it for validation. You know, that validation has come from within. But when I share something, it's because I either don't see that story represented in the world or again, if my life had gone even slightly different, so many different parts of my life, I would not have a practice. And yet I would still be this deeply creative person. And so I'm always tethered to the idea that I'm talking to that version of Sari, which exists in so many people and that I'm trying to give to people who maybe were creative and then didn't get to go to college, not for not being talented or trying hard or working hard, but because maybe unlike me, they chose to help their family where I was able to sort of branch off and and not. So I just, it's, it's a really, I think the reason I can show up so consistently and in so many different ways is because I have a huge motivation to like, give back. And, and that's kind of how my gratitude expresses itself. Like, it's not enough for me to just be like, I'm really grateful. I am. But if I can sort of show that by like giving and helping and nurturing, that's what helps me like sleep at night and feel better and just be, I don't know, feel better as a person. It sounds like your relationship with gratitude is really closely tied to service. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, I, you know, I'm a very action oriented person um, and that, you know, not, a, that's not a necessarily a good or bad thing. I think in our culture that tends to be more rewarded than passive forms of, 
you know, processing, but I've always been the kind of person who, you know, and, and when I was in, you know, a child and in poverty, you just, you have so little control over anything. And the way I dealt with that was I had a job and I ran, you know, 50, 60 miles a week. I, I was the kind of person who after track practice, I would go home and tack on three extra miles. Like I'm very, again, not, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I'm very motivated for action. And that action I think does show up as a service and it, and it, it's rewarding because I do see that in other people, like other people say, I wouldn't have been confident to talk about my childhood or my upbringing or, you know, other things had you not shared this. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it does show up as a service, but I see how it helps other people. And that really keeps me excited and going. I love hearing sort of the, sort of the motivations behind your work. And when I say your work, I mean, all the parts that go (laughs) with, with this, you know, it's not just you sitting at home and thinking of ideas or the technical aspects of you painting. It's also you showing up every day online and showing folks, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it for. It also means showing your kids. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it for. Um, and also like, let's talk about your actual art for a second. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, because something that is so thrilling about your work is how bright it is and how alive it is. And even when you are painting a landscape of uh, a strip mall or a, a line of fast food restaurants, it's filled with so much brightness and almost romance. Can you mm-hmm. speak a little bit more about why you make these choices yourself? Yeah, that's such a uh, well phrased question. Thank you. Um, yeah, the, and you know what? I The short answer to that is it's still largely a mystery to me. So, and that's okay. Art is about mystery. Art gives you space to sit with things that aren't solved. Like I will be lucky if by the end of my life, I can give you a solid answer on that. And I'm okay with that. But what I noticed is, um, you know, at the beginning of my art practice is I have this very subconscious and compulsive desire to polish and make pretty. Um, And to be honest with you, I've kind of more recently come to the conclusion that that's probably a pretty ingrained survival technique for me. Um, Not to say that I don't enjoy it or that it's something I don't like. I do like that. Um, I I find a lot of joy in making things romantic and beautiful and rose tinted glasses. But, um, you know, I, a big thing in my life is that I grew up in kind of these like less desirable locations and, you know, government housing that was never really cared for. And, you know, a, a home that was filled with, you know, smoke covered walls that are yellowing and just like a lot of really yucky things that people don't want to see and that we push out of our mind. Um, and yet I have also felt this desire to like, to, to polish myself. And I think, like I said, it was a survival technique that came from, you know, on a really practical level, doing something like even going to see the doctor. I remember as a kid, like if I needed to see the doctor, even if we were sick, 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 my mom would take the time to polish us and shower us and put us in our nice clothes and, um, you know, just to be treated human. And then there's also a layer as a female, there's this kind of constant desire. And so I think polishing and making pretty is something that I learned very 
early as a kid had a lot of value in our culture. And as a, as an adult, I remember like as a baby artist, but a grown up. So like in my early twenties, I had this, um, you know, people, when they think of a good painting or a painting that's going to sell, we think of like a beach or a sunset and those are objectively beautiful. I'm not saying they're good or bad. I'm just, you know, but I felt very dishonest just painting those things. I do enjoy them, but I wanted to have, I wanted to reflect on my childhood. And so what ended up happening sort of naturally, I would paint things like strip malls or, um, you know, other decaying landscapes or, you know, fast food wrappers or, you know, things from my childhood. And I sort of unintentionally polished them. And I would get a lot of people saying like, oh, well, that's, you made it really pretty. Are you romanticizing it? And the answer is I'm not, it's not as simple as I'm romanticizing it, but I think I'm, like I said, I'm sort of bringing together this like compulsion to polish and make pretty with this compulsion to depict the ugly truth that I grew up with. And I don't know that I have a solid answer for that. And I I don't want it to ever seem as two-dimensional as I'm just romanticizing that. So adding something like glitter is like, it's an overt way of polishing something, but it also, again, sort of alludes to the shallowness and this plasticness. And I think the glitter series for me was the first time that I was able to utilize the polishing in a way that didn't just seem like it was purely romanticizing it. And so it was a breakthrough because those are the elements that I'm just dealing with, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. I, I hear you. Like, I feel you really deeply when you say, I can't make it two dimensional, that it's not as simple as this was hard. Let's make it pretty that it is. It sounds like it's a transformative process like a bit of alchemy is involved with you even creating this new version of history. Yeah, there, there is. And it's a, it's a challenging and it's kind of a throwing back in, in people's faces a little bit. Like the, the hard thing that kind of, the thing that's maybe not so straightforward about my art is that I do, when you step back and look at all of my bodies of work, like it is very like bright and beautiful and pretty and glittery and shiny. Um, but it's not necessarily meant to comfort or, or or make like I don't want people like I want I'm being so overt with it that I want someone to look at a strip mall or a restaurant and and see the fact that I'm covering it in glitter as like I'm overshooting romanticizing it like I'm kind of gone too far and it's too heavy handed and it makes people who maybe didn't grow up in those environments aware of the fact that for a lot of people who, you know, grew up poor or with other marginalizations, there's this compulsion to polish and make those struggles palatable for people. And I, I want people to, so like comforting the uncomfortable and discomforting the comfortable. I want people who are comfortable and maybe have very two-dimensional views of those spaces to maybe ask themselves on some level, why would someone put like need to cover it in glitter? Like, you know, and I want them to sit with that. And I don't know that they necessarily get to where I'm going with it. I think that's the struggle as an artist. You spend your whole career trying to pull people there, you know, without using language and words. And it's hard. But if I can get people to sort of question why is there a need to polish and romanticize? Like, why can't we just sit with the uncomfortable truth of it? Um, that for me feels like a win. I know that, well, I hear that your art is one way of answering that question 
without the words, but since this is a podcast, <laughs> yeah. uh, can you tell me more about why do you feel this need to polish? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think now it's less of a need to polish and more of like looking back on why I did feel that need. So I, I now as a 31 year old person, no longer feel the need to polish. And I think that's why my artwork has gotten more maybe abrasive to some people. Again, it comforts people who grew up in similar situations, but I look back sympathetically at my past self. And I actually, I think it breaks my heart to think that in in order for me to feel like I was worthy of help or even just basic humanity that I had to, on top of existing, changed how I presented myself to like, I'm mad about that. I'm mad that that's a reality for most people. And, you know, so I know it seems counterintuitive that I'm painting with bright, beautiful color and glitter, but I've, I've said this before, but like my art sometimes feels like a collage of all the chips on my shoulder. Like I just like, it's, it's so counterintuitive because it looks so happy, but I'm actually, a lot of my art is is like frustration. Um, it's frustration with the fact that people do have to polish. It's frustration with the fact that the art world has contempt for for you know for polishing in and of itself. So it's a conversation with the art world. It's a conversation with people. I, yeah, it's just it's so this is why this is why I'm a visual artist because like I end up getting kind of like it's hard to peg down in words, but I think I'm balancing like a frustration and I'm 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 actively in the weeds with who polishes and why do we polish and why is that necessary for humanity? That's what I, I think I'm trying to get at. And it's really rich. And I'm so grateful that you're, you're bringing it to life. Yeah, hopefully I, I, it's, you know, conversations like this are always really helpful because it shows me kind of where I've done things right, but also it gives me good guidance into like, I would love to be more pointed in a way that like, I just, I'm trying to be more intentional, but I also like, as an artist, you have to toe that line. Um, you know, the thing, the reason why I'm always apprehensive about language is because unfortunately, you know, we are a, a, a culture saturated in language. And, you know, one thing I think it's a real disservice to us is that as soon as someone mentions like a buzzword, people automatically become very like you're one extreme or the other. And as an artist, a lot of times our job is to fight for that nuance in the middle. And I think we are are set up for that because, you know, visually, most of our visual language is just advertisement. So to be an artist is actually a pretty powerful thing. You're, you're sort of, you're intentionally sitting with visual language and, and trying to talk about something that verbal language or, you know, written language um, tends to polarize people. And so I'm wanting to, you know, I would love to be able to effectively, I love writers, but to like talk about third spaces and, um, you know, justice for the poor in a way that doesn't automatically polarize people. And so as an artist, I think that's a, that's a struggle and that's like a worthy cause, but that's what I'm trying to do. I don't know if I do it very effectively, but that's definitely where I'm going. Can you talk more about uh, third spaces? Yeah, I, you know, as an art, yeah, yes. So third spaces are, 
um, you know, places outside of your home or your work where you can just exist. And um, I wish I could think of, I'll remember it later, but there's someone who kind of coined the term, I think back in the sixties. And there's a lot of, um, you know, articles and pieces and books that are written about this idea that specifically in America, we really don't have third spaces. It, there's a lot of places, but um, because of sort of the the legacy of America, there's things like loitering laws and jaywalking laws. And um, because of that, it's now we're in a place where people, it is illegal for a lot of people, specifically poor people, specifically black and brown people, uh, unhoused people, it's, it's illegal for people to just exist. And it's, it's, it's one component of a society that's very violent to poor and marginalized people. And so it seems like third spaces are just like, oh, let's build city parks for kids. And on one side of the spectrum, that's true. But the fact that we don't have third spaces is, is it's, it kind of shines a spotlight on the fact on like how we view our population and how in order to be considered even just a person in society, there is a tax. You have to have a certain amount of money to occupy that. And it's just, it's sad and it's violent. And, you know, making a video about it is cathartic because it gets people to think about it. But at the same time, I'm always, I also feel so like small and at a loss to tackle such a big thing. When I hear you talk about this, I'm reminded of something you said just a couple minutes earlier about about the glitter um, and the polishing, that a big emotion within that process is frustration. Yeah. (laughs) And you also mentioned earlier um, about you didn't say the word femininity. I think you were talking about womanhood and like, mm-hmm. a, a, like sort of a pressure for to be perceived as beautiful mm-hmm. in order to have access or in order to have power or in order to have ease or perceived worth. Mm-hmm. And there's something so fucking amazing about how you are using brightness as a harsh reality. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very intentional. I, um, you know, I, I was kind of slow to process sexism in in my work. I know a lot of people kind of latch on that quickly and, and I get it every, I'm, it's totally understandable. I, you know, growing up, I think I was most kind of overtly scarred by growing up in poverty as a child um, and kind of the vulnerability that that kind of exposes you to. Um, and, you know, so the, 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 the sexism and sort of this need to be polished in a way that even more so than, than, you know, my male counterparts uh, was something that sort of emerged slowly, <laughs> you know, uh, to me. But yeah, I found it to be a really interesting tool. And a lot of other artists have done have worked with sort of these ideas. But yeah, the idea that I'm using glitter and polish and shine and shimmer and like smoothing out the edges, I sort of resent that that's my compulsion. And I've gotten to where it largely isn't as much. I, I can use it. I can pick it up as a tool. And I will say, I completely acknowledge that that's a, like a privilege, you know, that not everyone has access to. And I think that's why... I would love to even be more overt with it, but like I get 
I, I, I want to, again, I kind of, I think as an artist, sometimes it can be overwhelming, especially in the beginning, especially if you're like me and you were a kid with like a real chip on their shoulder and like kind of mad about stuff. Um, it, it's, it can be stressful to think that I have to make this big, heavy political art. And I definitely didn't in the beginning. And I'm glad I didn't. I glad I, I'm glad I sort of started from a really honest place, but like where I'm at now as an artist is I largely feel like I'm just a mirror, right? I'm just showing the landscapes that we currently have. I'm just showing, you know, with my gilded series, you know, foods that we associate with poor people in kind of a clashing sort of way. And I, I, in a lot of ways, I'm just wanting to show a mirror. So if the fact that I'm painting something overtly shiny and glittery, I want polish to eventually feel ridiculous. I want, I want the act of, of making something aesthetic look silly in, in some ways. I, again, I don't always know that I'm perfectly nailing it. And I think that doesn't make me frustrated as much as it makes me excite, excited for the future. And, you know, I'd love to get more pointed and better at articulating this, but yeah, it's, it's something I've learned. It's like, I've, I've often said with my art that like my first true art lessons weren't in college when I was learning how to paint, but it was in the aisles of a Sally's whenever I was learning how to bleach my own hair and how purple cancels out yellow. And my first art lessons were in the aisles of thrift stores where I was, um, my mom was teaching me about silhouette. You know, my peers were all going to Abercrombie and just buying straight off the mannequin and wasn't accessible to us. So I had to learn how to, you know, if I was going to have a chance of fitting in and, and, and when, especially if you're, you know, poor and vulnerable and the more marginalized you are, the more that looking right and fitting in, it's, it's less of a vanity and a flourish and it, it's more survival. And I think, Again, I don't know that I'm perfectly articulating it, but I think I'm I'm resentful and mad that that's a reality for people. I, yeah, I don't know. That's where that emotion comes from. <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm not laughing at you, I swear. <laughs> I, am, I am laughing as an exertion of sentiment. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that there's a really valuable place for rage. Uh, I think, and I, I think that's why I'm so drawn to your work because it seems like a really healthy way to process it. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned earlier that every single person on this planet and beyond is a creative person. And that's something I fundamentally believe. And I think that creativity is one tool that we have to transmute these really harsh realities and transmuting them in our brains or in our collective psyches is one step toward transmuting them in our physical reality too. Yep. Yeah. I know. I, I agree with that so deeply and so passionately. Um, one of my favorite things to do when I'm in a group of creatives or anyone is I sort of like will assert that everyone's creative. I, I know there's some pushback to that and I just love to like spar it out with people, but, um, I think people struggle with that. I don't I don't know if you've gotten pushback when you said that, um, that everyone is creative in some capacity. And I don't just mean visual artists. Some people are creative in a musical way, writing. I think community building is a form of creativity. Um, the more I try to do it, the more I have respect for people who can do it successfully. Just blown away by that. Um, but I think that's uncomfortable for people and specifically our culture, because Unfortunately, if you believe that, if you sort of say, okay, everyone is creative and because creativity, I think 
when you have creativity, and I know this is an artist who's shown up in the world as an artist, um, warrants a certain amount of like, oh, people tend to think you're really unique and special. And I think as a culture, because of how unfair and unjust and unequal, how how terribly unequal our society is, when you say something like everyone has the capacity for creativity and everyone is a creative being, you start to get this dissonance that shows up because we don't treat everyone with the respect and honor that a creative being deserves. Um, you know, something I, I try to articulate, and I don't know if I do it all the time well, but is like, if things hadn't gone a certain way for me, <laughs> I would be, it would be a success for me to be like a manager at a fast food restaurant. Cause I worked at a fast food place through college and, and high school. Um, and it would have been just a victory for me to not be on drugs. I would have been breaking generational cycles. And I mean that so genuinely that that would have been a win. Um, and so I think, you know, we exist in a world where you go to a fast food place and someone serves you and because of how unequal, you know, not only just the material goods of our world is, but like the respect and honor and integrity that we give everyone, you see someone working fast food and like, you can't, like, it's hard to, like, if you truly believe everyone's equal, that the lack of respect that we give for a lot of people should make you uncomfortable, which is why I think it's so important to say it and to, to, to really talk about that, which is I'm grateful for your, your platform and what you're doing. Um, because yeah, I think everyone is unique and special and, and creative and, and deserves to have a practice and a way to heal and the integrity and the respect that comes with being a creative person. I'm really grateful to be having this conversation with you because, well, for lots of reasons, one, I'm having a great time. Uh, <laughs> one, I'm having a great time. And also my life's work is to help people understand that we are exactly how we are supposed to be and that all of us belong. And I've tried different media to institute this work, whether it is talking and interviewing, whether it's creating documentaries, whether it's community organizing and hearing you speak with such clarity about what your mission is, is really inspiring. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, to, to really kind of keep talking about community building um, and why I think it's, it's creative is, um, you know, I just recently researched for an episode, um, a podcast episode I'm doing is uh, about the history of creativity. And I thought it was really interesting because um, so the word creativity only became like in the dictionary, I think in 1875 or something like that. So kind of recently. Um, and the nature of creativity used to be sort of seen as like humans couldn't possess creativity. You could only filter it from a divine source, which is interesting. And um, and creativity now is sort of, unfortunately, and although it makes sense if you study history, um, is associated with sort of this male genius trope, which is super duper unfortunate. And I think we're only now starting to maybe scratch out of that reality. I, I really think it's a bummer that when we think creativity or someone is creative, we think writer, artist, musician, and kind of struggle to think outside of that. Um, because the thing about creativity is whenever you're sort of adorned with that like title, whether it's by yourself or someone else or your first grade teacher or whoever gives you that title and makes you think you're creative, um, you know, it's it really excludes a lot of people. And I think, yeah, I think that most of us are a lot more creative than we give ourselves credit for. I think um, 
yeah, it's just a big, it's a huge passion of mine. I could ramble about it forever, but yeah, I I'm, I'm with you on that. <laughs> so in addition to being uh, an artist, um, critical thinker, <laughs> parent, um, you're also a teacher. Uh, can you tell me a little more about how your teaching practice uh, interacts with the themes that we've been talking about today? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I'm on a very two-dimensional level. It's it's a part of community building. I think, um, you know, finding students and mentoring in some capacity, however you want to look at it. I have a pretty non-hierarchical approach to teaching. I, I learned as much from my students. I think, you know, time is kind of relative. And like the fact that I have this knowledge now and can help you in your journey, I, you know, again, very very communal, very non-hierarchical sort of in that. But yeah, teaching is is wonderful. It's, um, you know, I it's taught me when you have to teach something, you have to know it really well. So on like a very technical side of things, it's helped me to be a much better painter and, you know, pushes me forward to learn new things. My students are always asking questions that are really good and, you know, um, forces me to do research and really sure up on my own technical skills. So it, it's been wonderful. I will say like kind of it ties into what we've talked about. Um, the weird thing about teaching though, that I found, and it's not just me, I've talked to other artists about it, is that there did there does seem to be a bit of stigma around being a teacher um, in the sense that uh, your work is less valid because you teach. So I teach for a bunch of reasons. Um, <clears throat> my whole pull to teaching started whenever many years ago on Instagram, um, I was doing these really big elaborate greenhouse paintings. And I remember someone or maybe a couple someone's, but they commented, Oh, I can never do that. That's so intricate. That's so cool. I can never do that. And like that kind of broke my heart because as you know, with my background and my story, like I really lucked into being able to get an art degree and like things had to go perfect. I think Everyone has a capacity to be an artist in some sense. So anyways, when they said that, I started breaking down my paintings and showing step by step. So like the underpainting, the drawing, the messy middle, all stages of that, and then the finished product. And, you know, people were like, oh, I do think I could do this. And that snowballed into teaching workshops, which snowballed into creating an online art school. And now it's a really big part of what I'm doing. Um, but I've noticed, especially with, um, you know, feminine presenting people when they're teachers is there's this like terrible trope around like those who can't teach I, I like cannot stand that phrase I think it's awful um but it's true like a, an artist I really looked up to I took a workshop with her and she had just won a BP portrait award which is like a big deal in the art world and she some of the advice she got when she went to get her award was that she should separate her teaching and her person and her art account out from each other so that she's taken more seriously which is so backwards and wrong and it really again kind of panders to that male genius artist trope that's so wrong and <laughs> just like not factual at all. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love being a teacher and I, I, I resent that it's another aspect of like my activism is like, I have to very, you know, intentionally be, I'm a teacher and I'm not going to shy away from it so that I have a better chance of having an art career. Um, but yeah, it's all kind of wrapped up in that. And I actually have made art about that. I'm so passionate about it. So I have this series called step-by-step -Step paintings. And do you remember those books that were like how to draw horses? And it was like step one, two, three, four, oh, five. Yeah, I had one of those <laughs> and I could draw a, a wobbly horse at the end. I, they work. They're it's so helpful. I used to love those books. And so I wanted to, so painting is cool because like 
it's a stage, right? Like whenever you make something and put it into oil paint on a canvas, you're tapping into all the artists who sort of came before you. And that tradition of art, as opposed to other traditions of art, is very like masculine, Eurocentric. Like you're really tapping into the vein of like, you know, this is meant to be taken seriously because this old hierarchy says that oil paint and ballet are up here and knitting is down here. And anyways, and so I wanted to take that stage of a canvas and an oil painting and and do a step-by-step. And it, I love that because like, it sort of does two things. On one level, you can go to a museum or wherever my art is shown, museum, I'm speaking so highly of myself, but, um, and then you can see and, and like walk away with not only a painting, but like a skill. And then on the other hand, it's, it's sort of questioning, well, why is teaching sort of thought of as lesser and like, I don't know, it's just kind of getting at that, but yeah, I, I love teaching and it's a very important part of my whole thing. I'd love to see your step-by-step in a museum. And it reminds me of, um, I went to the museum of natural history in New York city and there's a whole section that's just these Greco-Roman statues. Mm-hmm. And I took my uh, like notepad there. And I was like, I'm just going to try sketching them. Like, this will be fun. And how fantastic would it have been if there was a step-by-step of how to sketch? Because people do that all of the time. And why can't art be egalitarian, not just in appreciation, but also in process building? Yes, yes, exactly. You worded that so beautifully. Yes, that that was what I was searching for. So I want to bridge that gap between practitioner, the artist, and and then you know everyone else. Like, and I think that that's a, a body of work that does it. Kind of pulls whoever's watching into it. I, you know, I think one thing that's really sad about you know maybe not every body experiences this, but I feel like in early elementary school, like you're sort of either labeled the art kid or you're not. And because of that's such a shallow interpretation of what it means to be creative and be artistic is like, whether or not you're good at drawing or making bubble letters. So many people carry that with them that they weren't the art kid and they sort of write themselves off as creative. But we all are, we all are on some level. And it doesn't mean it has to be your whole career or your whole thing. It doesn't have to be your profession, but like we are all like we want to put marks on paper and show that we were here and we existed and we want to, you know, pluck around on a piano and show that we were here and we existed and any, any kind of art, any kind of messaging, any kind of teaching I can do to sort of pull people in and get people to be confident in themselves as a creative being is just like a massive win for me. Big wins. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, what is one practice that is helping you discover who you are right now? Oh man. Um, you know, I've had a pretty, hmm, you know, it's two things. I feel like a good practice for like bettering yourself or improving is like a little bit of like kind of rubbing up against you and breaking down norms and making you question yourself and then rebuilding. And so right now I'm doing I, you know, I'm I'm reading a lot of books. I just got done reading a lot of bell hooks. <laughs> so like, and I love it because it's, it does, it humbles me and it kicks my butt in the best possible way. And then I pair that with, um, I'm really lucky and fortunate to have a a strong mindfulness practice. I needed it right after I got out of my like childhood, I had a really bad like mental breakdown in what would it have been 2015, 2016. Um, 
just from like my childhood. And so one of the therapies that I, I used was a mindfulness thing. And that was just literally to get myself from stop having panic attacks, like very, like very straightforward, just like needed to like hang on to reality type stuff. But I've, it's, as I've grown and evolved and healed, um, you know, it's become something that I can use to be a more present mom and to be a more present artist and to be a better member of my community and to be a better teacher. And, um, you know, softened kind of my edges, but I, I'll, I'll say that it's important that you pair that with something that like really tears down the way you see the world in a productive way. So that's kind of what I'm hoping to do anyways. Awesome. Well, Sarah, this has been phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Uh, could you shout out to not yet folks, uh, what you're building right now and where we can find you on the internet? Yes. Yes. Um, thank you. So I, I'm doing a little bit of everything. I mostly, I show up online. Um, and I'm always, I always try to be really good about answering questions and keeping conversations going. So if you're curious about painting, art, making anything that I've talked about, um, you can always reach out to me through my socials. I just started a podcast January 1st. Um, and it's a, it's a podcast that's about, uh, creativity. It's very specific to creativity. Activity, but it has a very, like I said, egalitarian approach to it. Everyone is creative and it's meant to help artists. Like I just did an episode about copyright, you know, and how to protect your art and kind of more factual things all the way to pep talks. And um, I also teach an online art school. It's called Not Sorry Art. I made it because I was lucky to go to college and I wanted to share that information, everything I learned in school um, at a much more approachable um, level. It's you pay one time. I add a new section every quarter and, you know, there's no fees or payments. You just do the one-time payment and then you're, you're, you're gold for life. Um, and it's, it's geared for anyone between beginners to upper intermediate. Um, and what, am I, what else am I doing? All kinds of stuff. I have retreats going right now, so you can find me everywhere. I'm, I'm busy, um, but grateful, but yeah, if, and, 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 you know, if you want to kind of plug into a community, that's very welcoming to all um, kinds of art, you know, visual artists, then I hopefully have something for you. Beautiful. And I'll be sure to put the links to your socials and not sorry, art school and the show notes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me on and thank you for creating your community. And I just really appreciate what you're doing. And I think the space that you've created for people in the welcoming environment is just the work that's really going to help us evolve as a, a culture. And I just, I'm really grateful for you. That's the dream, Sari. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Not Yet. The podcast is hosted by me, Paige Polk, and produced by Paige Polk International. The show art is made by Elizabeth Olguin, and the music is by Elder. Don't forget to subscribe here. And... If you want more of this love in your life, visit notyetseries.com to join the Not Yet Project and community.